This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. The Blood Red podcast, courtesy of the Liverpool Echo. I'm Guy Clark. Welcome along. Goalless at Anfield, a third game in a row without a goal in the Premier League. Is Liverpool's fabled front three broken? Well, we'll be reviewing the draw with Manchester United, assessing what options Jurgen Klopp has to get the Reds firing again and preview Thursday's visit of Burnley. Plus, Mohamed Salah opening up on his Liverpool future. Here to do all of that, our chief Liverpool writer, Ian Doyle, Connor Dunn and Matt Addison. Uh, Doyle, we're going to kick off with Mohamed Salah, who has come out and spoken about his contract, his future at Liverpool, and sent somewhat of a, a message straight to the hierarchy at the Reds. Yeah, it's almost like he wants a new contract with a bit more money, isn't it? Which is nothing new. Uh, that's what every footballer does. So, not really much of a surprise there. I wouldn't read, wouldn't read anything into it to be honest. I just think it's one of those things that footballers do. And uh, Mohamed Salah has been quite clever. I mean, who did he say it to? Norwegian Television. Yeah, didn't really, uh, didn't say that to Liverpool Echo, did he? Or in fact, any any English newspaper, because it's been a long time since he spoke to any of them. Anyway, uh, but you know, I mean, the timing of it perhaps wasn't the best given. You know, the fact that Liverpool have struggled a little bit for goals, which I'm sure we'll get onto at some point. But, you know, otherwise, as I say, just it's more words from a footballer. Yeah, see, so you're taking the draw with United well, Doily, but we'll we'll get on to that. I in a minute. I will agree. I'm the one who said it was going to be nil-nil. So, yeah. yeah. Good. I can't argue no. with that. No, that's fair. You just seem to be be in a chirpy mood this afternoon. But Connor, I'll come to you on Salah. Then we spoke a, a couple of weeks ago. He'd done an interview with a Spanish uh, publication at the time, and at the time we felt something like this was brewing. And it seems to be it's just another outlet for him to get his message out. Yeah, we said at the time that AS interview felt like he wanted some more money. It was kind of a contract: come and extend my deal, come and give me what I could get at Real Madrid. He's kind of just reiterated it, hasn't he? Basically gone to Norwegian TV and gone, oh, the contract's in the hands of the club, saying, yeah, I want a new contract. Flat out, that is what Salah's message is. Obviously, great, he wants to stay. Um, it's up to Liverpool to give him more money, really, isn't it? And it's just one of those things. But as Dory mentioned there, I was going to say, strange timing considering his lack of goals. I mean, Liverpool scoring one in four games, and he hasn't really even had a decent chance or a decent walking we've gone all oh, salad maybe should have scored there or any, done anything really of note and then come out and be sort of my contracts in the hands of FSG we go well prove yourself on the pitch again then please yeah no it doesn't seem to be the strongest argument he has for himself right now but Matt I suppose it just serves to highlight again the contract situation Liverpool are in this season we spoke so much about Jorginho Wijnaldum and the contract situation that's going on there but it's not just that contract that's ticking down. There's a number for Liverpool that they need to be looking at. Yeah, that's the thing. That's what makes it a difficult sort of decision in terms of which one do you do first, which ones do you prioritise. It's not just Salah, it's Van Dijk, it's Firmino, it's Mane. I think all four of those players have got two years left come the end of this season. So, yeah, it's a big time coming up for Liverpool on the contracts front. It's something on Blood Red we're going to look into a little bit over the next couple of weeks in terms of, of all those decisions and, and what Liverpool might do. But... No, in terms of Mohamed Salah, I mean, I said it at, at the time when the the um, quotes from AS came out uh, about two or three weeks or so ago. I mean, you know, why, first of all, would Mohamed Salah want to go anywhere other than, you know, staying at, at Liverpool? Would he, you know, be better off at, at Real Madrid or Barcelona at this moment in time? No, I don't think he would. That's the same for, for every Liverpool player at this moment in time. And 
The other thing, of course, is it's difficult financially for, for both of those clubs. Certainly Barcelona at this moment in time don't have a huge amount of money. So as much as you know, it, it is going to be a priority for, for Liverpool to get a new contract on the table, I think there's probably not you know, as much of a pressing need as there might have been given coronavirus has sort of taken over at, at most football clubs around the world because you'd imagine that if he's asking for a little bit more at Liverpool, maybe Liverpool have to think about that, but it's not as if he can just go to, to any other club and, and instantly be offered that as well. So, yeah, it's a, a difficult one to, to sort of balance up going forward for, for Liverpool, but I think for, for Mohamed Salah, you can understand why he's just basically said, yeah, I'd quite like to stay at Liverpool. Over to you. Yeah, he's got two and a half years left on his deal, Dolly. But is it going to sort of refresh the talk that we often have about the need for Liverpool to refresh that front line and, and change things up? I mean, even linking into yesterday's draw with Manchester United, Roberto Firmino doesn't seem to be having a particularly great time in front of goal either right now. Well, they, they have refreshed it. They got Diego Jota and he just happens to be injured. So I think that's the first stage of them changing everybody around. I mean, I've said a few times, haven't I? This will be the last season that... The front three will be the front three regularly. And it's, you know, if Jostra had been fit, I would imagine that would already have started now. So I wouldn't be too concerned about what Salah said. I think if Liverpool want to cash in on him, I still think they'll have people who want to buy him. I mean, that's just, you know, he doesn't exactly sound like somebody wants to leave, does he? Let's be honest. He just sounds like somebody wants a bit more bit more money. And, and who doesn't want more money doing their job? Especially if they've been doing it for 20-odd years, yeah. Um, <laughs> Come and get me, please, a reach. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if that is going to get picked up and transcribed, Doily. Yeah, he won't, will he? <laughs> respected journalist, Ian Doyle says. Uh, uh, respected or reliable, which one would you rather be? I suppose if you are respected, then by definition, you must be reliable. Yeah, yeah. Probably, yeah. 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 Anyway, yeah. What was it, Salah? Yeah. yeah. I think it's not just him, though. As as, as Matt mentioned, there's um, Sadio Mane. I wouldn't be too... I mean, let's be honest. If you were you were a, a major European rival, the player you'd be after would be Mane, wouldn't it? Yeah. I don't necessarily think anybody would be after Firmino, but not because he's not good and just because he's had a few games where he hasn't scored or, or not played particularly well. It's just that he fits so well into Liverpool's system. He's like the perfect player for them and there's not many teams who play like that. So... I would imagine he might end up going back to Brazil. That's just me guessing. But uh, but yeah, I think Salah. I just to be honest, it's quite boring, isn't it? Let's be brutally honest about this. You know, a player comes out and says this. That you can because we've seen it so many times before. It's like because there's nothing happening in the transfer window anywhere from anything hardly. You know, by anybody that that these things are, are coming to light. So. No, I wouldn't be massively concerned because, you know, Salah's still going to be at the, by the end of the season and that's the main concern for now is just getting Liverpool back winning and scoring some goals again. And just on that, Dolly, it's one of those that you can't see FSG or the powers that be at, at Liverpool having not already thought about this. Salah does this interview and go, oh, actually, yeah, we need to think about that. These these conversations and sort of thinking but, behind the scenes. Are all don't, don't, forget, don't forget, he'd have probably just been asked the question. And he's not just going to, what's he going to say to the answer to that? Nah, I want to leave. See ya. That'd be like way worse, wouldn't it? So, you know, I uh, it's it's more of the fact that he, he I mean, let's be honest, I don't, I don't know how this interview came about. I mean, the one with AS, it's not the first time he's spoken to them. It always seems to be well planted, possibly by his agents, possibly, you know, you know, who, who could be reaching out and making sure these things, these happen because they don't, they don't tend to happen in the, in the uh, British newspapers, do they? So, uh, Having said that, when people when it came when it went into AS, people were saying, "Oh, Barcelona or Real Madrid." I, I don't think it, with Norwegian Telly Rosenborg and teams like that are going to be trying to sign Salah. So, 
we'll uh, we'll just have to wait and see. But I wouldn't be too concerned at the moment, no. No, certainly. Well, kind of talking then of Roberto Firmino and Liverpool's lack of goals at the top end of the pitch. Four Premier League goal uh, games now, and oh, sorry, three Premier League games without a goal. Just uh, struggling recently since that 7-0 win over Crystal Palace, the last four games since just one goal. Seems as though it's broken. How do Liverpool fix it? Yeah, well, it's interesting to speak about Firmino. Um, you thought in that Crystal Palace game, he scored two, looked really sharp. You thought, oh, he's cracked back into life, bit of goal-scoring form, really excited. And then since then, he's been a bit wasteful, really, against United yesterday. Um, he's guilty of missing the Liverpool's best chances, really, Firmino. Um the link-up play between Liverpool's front three didn't seem, just didn't seem at it. Hadn't seen at it for a couple of games now, but I've got a theory, which I was obviously saying to you boys um, before this podcast started. And I've written a piece about this for the Echo as well, if anybody wants to read it after I've told you all. But um, basically, I think it stems from further back. Obviously, everyone knows Liverpool got loads of injury issues with Van Dijk, with Gomez, with Matip. But I think you, you obviously, when you drop Henderson and you drop Fabinho back into the back line, you, you miss that really tenacious midfield that cycles wave of attack after wave of attack, don't, doesn't let teams reset. And so you find more spaces. Where, where it's a bit slower, the play going round, teams can get back and regroup and that low block can get reorganised before the next wave of attack comes in. The sustained attack isn't quite there, so the amount of chances they get and the quality of the chances they get aren't, aren't really good enough. So I think they had 17 shots against Man United and had an expected goal of like 1.4. And expected goals goes on how many shots you take. They're only of the, you know, you think in there, more than 15 shots they had yesterday weren't expected to ever go in anyway. So kind of the, the chances they're creating aren't as good as they have been. But then the other issue is, I think where you have two central midfielders in the back line, it's not a nervousness in Liverpool, but it's like a, a will to do everything right and do all the basics right and revert into type a little bit. They're really used to playing down the wings. They're really used to doing that. And teams are now used to that as well. And there isn't kind of a want to sort of play on that half turn, take a chance with a ball. It's doing everything right to kind of protect the defence, which is a little bit makeshift. And it's just not it's just not as on the last line as we're used to Liverpool playing. You know, when Liverpool used to play right, like full throttle, full tilt, get penalties, and it just seems to have taken a step back just to do everything right and stop teams scoring rather than going full tilt, scoring ourselves, and then thinking, oh, it's okay, Henderson and Fabinho are there. Oh, no, it's okay, Van Dijk and Gomez are there. No, it's okay, Alisson's there. That spine is kind of just disintegrated, really, with the injuries. Yeah, and I suppose all the talk, Matt, has been about defence and the options that are going to be there. This attacking crisis, almost as it were, sort of has now crept up on Liverpool. Yeah, yeah. a little bit. Oh, sorry, go on, Matt. Sorry, yeah, go on. To me. No, sorry, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I just to, to sort of extend on that point, really, from Connor, I think it's a, a spot on theory, to be honest. I think it comes almost back to, to that principle, doesn't it? With I think it was last summer Trent Alexander-Arnold did uh, an interview with with Rio Ferdinand where he was saying, you know, Liverpool's full-backs, both him and, and Robertson, they're more than happy to, to push on and, and help the attack because they know that if a player is going one versus one with Virgil van Dijk or, or Joe Gomez or someone like that, they can, you know, pretty much nine times out of ten deal with that. And kind of spot on, you know, when you've got two central midfielders there, obviously, you know, Fabinho has done fantastically well. I think he's, you know, there was a couple of moments yesterday where he just looked like a, a natural centre-back once again. But, you know, in that 1v1 situation, he's obviously not going to be as comfortable as someone like Virgil van Dijk. So, yeah, it, it's it's one of those situations, isn't it, where 
it's a, a knock-on effect and, and then another knock-on effect and then something else has happened and in between between matches you've then got other injuries to factor in and it's just one thing after another and I think as you say the, the words there that it's just sort of crept up on Liverpool I think that's you know a perfect way of putting it really it's it's one of those things that you can deal maybe with one or two in in one certain area and you can maybe deal with one more maybe one more but then when it's just that that extra one it, it, it's sort of it catches up with you and unfortunately for Liverpool that's what has happened in the last sort of three or four games so yeah looking ahead to Burnley it's sort of uh, a really important game to, to show that Liverpool have found a solution to this problem because the longer it goes on the worse and, and the more sort of worried about it you'd be. Doyle you said before that and you, you've said it a number of times this season that you expect this this season to be the last time sort of Mane, Firmino and Salah are Liverpool's forward line obviously when Liverpool went to the Etihad Diogo Jota was put in there and it was a four-man forward line do you think when he gets back from his injury then maybe Roberto Firmino without wanting to, to pick him out and criticise him but he did have chances against United do you think maybe we will begin to see he maybe dropped out of some of the bigger games more frequently? Well, the, the short answer to that is, I don't know. I mean, I think it's just one of those where they'll just rotate them. Just that the, the, having Jota back available gives them something a little bit different because it's it's not even so much that. I mean, it's... it's. I, I must admit, I'm not worried by what's happening with Liverpool now because having obviously been to practically all of the games this season, you can see it coming a mile off. I mean, it's been happening. If you look, go back and have... It's weird because there's still the Premier League's top scorers. Still the Premier League's top scorers. I think it's 37 goals in 18 games. He hasn't scored in the last three. I mean, you look at the Palace game, they had eight shots and scored seven times. And, they, and the keeper didn't have a save to make, I think, apart from one like one basic header, I think it was. So you knew that that score was a bit freakish in the same way that Villa beating Liverpool 7-2 was a bit freakish. I mean, both results were right, but the actual score lines were a little bit misleading. So it's somewhere in between. I think, no, if if you do have... To, forget that you have two, two midfielders playing at centre-back. If you've got your three best centre-backs not playing, even if you put in, say you put in Reese williams and Nat Phillips, I think Matt's, Matt's right. I mean, Liverpool would end up playing even more defensive in midfield just to make sure it protects them. So I think that's why, you know, Fabinho is a little bit different. I mean, because he's obviously, he's that good at centre-back. And I wrote a piece this morning saying he, he, might, he might even be considered one of the best centre-backs in the league, which is remarkable given the fact he was one of the best defensive midfielders in the league last season and the, and the season before. So... Can't be too many players who've done that in two separate positions. But if you put Henderson there, you've seen he's perfectly fine defensively, but as the lads have said, then you're missing out in midfield, not just one midfielder, but two. You know, Thiago can go in there, Wijnaldum, but Wijnaldum looks tired now. Wijnaldum looks like somebody who's played for about 13 years non-stop, which he perhaps feels as though to him he probably has. And then, you know, suddenly he has a couple of iffy games and no one's talking about his contract anymore. It's funny that, isn't it? You know, the minute he'll have a good game, they'll be like, oh, is he signing his contract there? You know, it's just the, fickle, the fickleness of the football fan, shall we say. Maybe but, he needs to find those Norwegian TV reports. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just kind of Romanian television, why not? Why not Romanian, <laughs> Romanian television? But, yeah, I wouldn't be massively concerned about the fact that they've not scored because they're not conceding. And what's happening this season is that Liverpool have become... I think they've only won half of the games, half of their Premier League games since they won the league. Since they've actually won the league, they've played, what is it, uh, 26 games, I think. And I think they've won 14 or something like that. That's 13. It's something like that where they've only won half. But how many this season have they lost in the league? Two. No one's lost fewer. They've they've become a team that's been been thrilling to watch to a team that's hard to beat. But because 
a lot of the games last season where it was very close, they were winning or getting over the line. You look at Aston Villa away, you look at even the likes of Brighton at home where they won 2 1, you know, games like that. It's just not happening for them because they haven't got the extra spark for a multitude of reasons. One of which is the, the fact that they've got two of their best midfielders now at the moment playing at centre back. So I'd be more concerned if the front three were regularly just played off because I don't think they're playing particularly off. I thought Manny did quite well in the first half, actually. I thought he, uh, he gave Wan Bissaka a lot of problems, but. You know, Salah, he's he's always going to be one of those players where if he comes up against a big lump, whether it's Maguire or Shaw, he's going to struggle a little bit if they get a little bit physically on top of him. That's just the way it is because of his size. And with the rest of the Liverpool team not playing at their best, I think it's interesting that Trent Alexander-Arnold, he's he's kind of been affected by the fact that Liverpool, has, as Connor said, have perhaps taken a, a step or two steps backwards in, in terms of the defence and the midfield, perhaps taken a step back. There's been less space for him to run into and it means that he's having to... You know, a lot of his crosses are coming in from from a lot deeper, and you've got to you've got to lift those ones. And there's no one in Liverpool's front line to to head it in, which I think was interesting. That's why probably why Rigi came on for the last couple of minutes against United because they won a few corners, didn't they? And they perhaps thought that maybe he could get his head on the end of it, but wasn't to be. But uh, just to wait and say, although I think Burnley's not the game that you want to be playing if you want to score loads of goals. <laughs> no, certainly not. <laughs> Burnley scored nine goals all season, haven't they? And the so. We'll positively though, with Burnley coming, and obviously we'll preview them a bit. So that first half an hour yesterday against United, I thought Thiago and Shakiri were excellent. They were really positive, really bright, pushing Liverpool forward. I know United's midfield let them play a bit more than they probably should have, but it just showed you when you have a team that is sitting in that low block, which Burnley definitely will, and they're not going to be a team that want to match Liverpool 50-50 for possession. You're going to dominate a lot of the ball. That new dynamic, that midfield duo between Shakiri and Thiago, I think is one to watch because the more they play together and if Shakiri can stay fit and Thiago too, I think that could develop into something really positive. And I think it will give Liverpool another line of attack um, through the middle, which they obviously haven't had. And they can still obviously use the wing play, but a different sort of attacking line, which we saw in the first half an hour. And it, Liverpool were massively on the front foot when those two were kind of pulling the strings. Um, so that was definitely a positive to look to. And I think that's going to one possibly comes out of Burnley as well. On on the occasion, Dorley, as well, being inside Anfield and talking of sort of breaking downsides, sitting in low blocks. I know Matt's opinion, he might sort of want to share it straight after. How much of an impact do you think not having fans in for a game like that was? Do you think it makes any difference or not? Oh, yeah. I mean, I've said it all season. I mean, I don't want to bring up Arsenal, but I think Arsenal's kind of success over the latter stages of last season i.e. the FA Cup, where they played very defensively and then started replicating that at home this season. And funnily enough, teams got onto it and started beating them like Aston Villa. I think teams... Yeah, 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 well, just about everybody really, wasn't it, at one point? Um, (laughs) But he did beat United. We can come on to that a bit later if you want. Um, With that, teams can just play defensively, just put everybody behind the ball in the knowledge that the only thing that's going to beat them is the opposition. That's a stupid thing to say, but if you're in a pack ground, if you're the home team, your fans get a bit edgy if you're playing defensive all the time and any kind of little like, oh, they've got a corner, the opposition's got a corner, the fans get a bit edgy and that always, because it's human nature, that transfers itself onto the pitch. Alternatively, if you're playing away from home against a team that's putting you under lots of pressure, like Liverpool were in the first half, which is like Liverpool do in so many games. If you look at the game against United last season, it was almost the same, except Liverpool got the goal, didn't they, through Van Dijk, the header from the corner. I think that came through a lot of pressure. The fans get on top of you, and that affects you mentally. It's it's, it's obvious. 
No, I just don't think teams like Manchester United. I mean, Solskjaer basically admitted it, didn't he, before the game? He said, look, there's no such thing as a home and away game now. There's no fans. You can just do whatever you want, basically. And I think that's why he says it's no coincidence that no fans have been there the entire time we've been unbeaten away from home in the Premier League. And that's why. I think, you know, while ultimately it is about, you know, tactics and how you perform and, you know, players will always make mistakes or, or, you know, pull off brilliant goals and great saves or whatever have you, the fans do make a difference in the way that players end up approaching the game in the game. That's where... That's what's missing from football at the moment is the emotional difference that the fans make to the players. Not so much before the game, but actually during it. There's none of that. And I think United have been beneficiaries of it. I think Arsenal were for a bit. Uh, Liverpool, you can't say Liverpool have struggled that much because they still haven't lost at home, have they? So in that way, it hasn't really affected them that much. But is it the issue, though, Getting those late wins, like Leicester at home last season, for example, like Connor's mentioned before, the fine edges with which Liverpool have so often relied and played on, you said it as well. To me, it feels this season is different well, due to the, that. What's the one game where they scored a late winner? Tottenham. And you have fans in there. Yeah. So what does that tell you? And you saw it. And who scored it? Firmino. Yeah. And he went legging up to the cop, Firmino. So... You know, it's it's just funny that he suddenly came to life, didn't he? When the fans started coming back, and now that they've gone away again, you know, yeah, I know it's how can that work for a footballer who gets paid X hundreds of thousands of pounds a, a week? I don't know, but they are still the, the condition to play in these particular arenas, aren't they? That's why these are the top players. They can do it in front of 50, 60, 70, 80, 100,000 when millions watching at home. They some of these players love it, and probably. It probably helps some players the ego to do the pirouette turn, bang it in the top corner, and rip your shirt off and stand in front of forty thousand fans screaming your name. Exactly, yeah. You look at, you look at it, some, someone it. like Ronaldo. Someone like Ronaldo at Juventus. Yeah. He's, he's perhaps not being at his best. Okay, I know he's about fifty years of age now, but you know he, he's not quite at it. Let's be honest as well. It's not just Liverpool that've been struggling this season. Go across the whole of Europe, Real Madrid, Barcelona. I know Bayern Munich are top of the uh, the German league, but they got knocked out of the German Cup uh, by a second division team. Juventus has just said they've, they've, they're they not quite at it. Paris Saint-Germain, not quite the same team, although they did win a trophy last week. But it's not, it's not Liverpool, just Liverpool that's been affected. It's, it's all of the teams, all of the leading teams, just because of the way things have happened this season. And it just kind of shows that fans do make a big difference to the very best teams. Yeah, and I mean, Matt, should it make that much of a difference? So these are professional players who train day in, day out. Muscle memory should be a thing. Patterns of play, they should know what they're doing, shouldn't they? Yeah, that was the, the point that I was making to you the other day, was that, of course, it does make a, a difference. It, it does make a difference in terms of those last-minute winners, the extra little points here and there. But I just, you know, the, the point that I said to you the other day was that I think, you know, if Liverpool had had you know, maybe Virgil van Dijk fit, maybe, they, maybe they'd had one or two fewer injuries. I think that is 10 times as important as having the fans there. I think, you know, if you have one or two more players back in this Liverpool squad, I don't think we're even considering, you know, the, the fans not being there being an issue. I think it, it, it's more the injuries for me. That's the only point I would make. I mean, I completely agree, obviously. You know, the, the fans do make a difference. We, we say it often enough on, on European nights and stuff like that. Can, you know, the power of Anfield help Liverpool over the line? So, it would be ridiculous to, to suggest that anything other than that is the case, you know, at, at the moment when the opposite is true. But for me, I, I just think it it's a factor, but it's, you know, far from, from the biggest factor this season for Liverpool. The big factor this season is that they have had a, a significant chunk of their team missing for the majority of the season. I think if they had 
all of their players fit, which is obviously never going to happen. But if all of Liverpool's players were fit, they win this league by at least 20 points because I think they showed that last season <laughs> and they are that good. I mean, I, I, 20 I points. 20 points? I don't think they win it by Seven 20 wins. points. They didn't win it by 20 points last season. Okay, 20 points. <laughs> <laughs> My, my point being that I think, you know, injuries are far more influential. I think Liverpool would certainly be top of the table and favourites if they hadn't have had so many injuries. Whereas I think at this moment in time, given that situation, probably most people would have Manchester City as favourites. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Just a quick one back with you, Matt. Do you think it's any coincidence then with the injuries that you've even seen an impact on other players' forms, whether it's been, as, as Connor sort of says, the midfielders having to play in defence or even talking about that wing play in the build-up, someone like Trent maybe feeling as though he even has to be a bit more cautious and safer defensively with midfield players behind him? Yeah, 100%. That, that was, was Connor's point before, wasn't it? That Liverpool have sort of had to change the way that they play because of... of those sorts of injuries and, and the, la- the lack of proper centre-backs and, and that sort of thing. So I think that that plays a, a huge part and it has a knock-on effect in terms of, of confidence, in terms of you know, getting into to momentum and, and things like that. If you're having to, to change the team and, and go again in a slightly different way, try and evolve mid-season. Obviously, they didn't have a, a huge pre-season either. I mean, we've seen changes in the way that, that Liverpool play year on year under Jurgen Klopp and they had that time sort of taken away from them this summer because of, of the quick turnaround and things like that. So, I think there's uh, you know a huge sort of difference. I think Trent is, is probably the obvious one. Um, I actually thought he did a lot better against Manchester United. I picked out a few of the, the stats for his passing and stuff like that. You compare his passing against United compared to the Southampton game. Southampton was, was 61% accuracy went up to, to 80% against Manchester United. 35 out of his 61 were in Manchester United's half, whereas only 14 out of 44 were against Southampton. So I think, you know, in terms of the long balls, that the pattern is similar. He was much better. Obviously, it's not perfect. But yeah, I think there was there was some promising signs there. But yeah, there's no doubt about it. Over the last few weeks, we've not seen the best of him because of those injuries. As well, you mentioned obviously the games before. Klopp mentioned, didn't he, that he basically didn't have a pre-season because of COVID as well. So there's our first confirmation, was it last week, but that Trent had COVID? So obviously no pre-season, straight back in because Liverpool, at the time when Trent returned from injury, returned from COVID and everything, Liverpool needed him so badly. So he's straight back in, had no time to kind of find his feet, do a bit of fitness. He was straight back into such an important player. And then I think Klopp mentioned as well, didn't he, saying... um, He's about back ready now. Um, he's about back to where he should be, the level where he was before all everything that happened. So I think we'll start to see the best of Trent again pretty swiftly as well. Yeah, Doily, just in terms of the team setup then and how these injuries have affected things, we've always been so sort of glowing in praise of how and when Liverpool have struck in the transfer market and have hit the right chord so many times. Does it surprise you then that having taken sort of 30 years to get this title back to Anfield? Is it a bit of complacency setting in that, oh, we'll get through without a centre-half? Do they not need to go and do this to ensure that they can win the league title again? Well, there's no complacency in winning the title. Otherwise, they wouldn't have signed Thiago and Jota, would they? So, I don't think that's part of it. I mean, just something freaky's happened, hasn't it? To have your two leading centre-backs out for what we expect to be most of the season, then your third one is... You know, he's, well, he's made a crisp, isn't he, basically? Uh, and then the fourth one, the funny thing, the funny thing is, 
Jurgen Klopp has in some way been proven right about this, hasn't he? He said, we don't need a fourth one because Fabinho can play centre-back. Everybody was like, yeah, whatever. And it ends up Fabinho was absolutely brilliant at centre-back. I mean, yeah, I forgot so he was in midfield yesterday. So that sense, he was right. Obviously, that doesn't, you know, that, there's no way Liverpool could have known in October that all this was going to happen. No way. Don't care what anyone But they know now. Yeah, but they know now. Okay, then. Who's buying anybody in January? I don't no, but is that not the option? Is that is that not the opportunity? The window yeah. that there has opened. If if Liverpool do okay, go the, and okay, get the windows, okay, the window's opened. But we all know that they're going to start a centre back in the summer. We don't know who it is, but we all know that. So why on earth, if you cannot get that centre back out of the club before the summer, why would you buy another one? No one's going to come in on loan. No one's going to have a short term deal. They're not going to sign a free agent. It's just not going to happen. And also, we don't know how close Van Dijk is to, to coming back, really. I mean, the reality is that if he, if he plays again this season, I'll be, I'll be very surprised. And as I said before, Liverpool are not actually struggling defensively, no matter who they put there. I think it's, 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 I can't remember how many goals it is, but I think I wrote something like in the 11 games in the Premier League that Fabinho's played centre-back, no matter who he's been alongside. They've only conceded seven goals, and I think two or three of them have been penalties. But well, one of them definitely was Liverpool were more defensive as a setup now, though, with those. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. So it's a, but then on top of that, they also then were without Thiago, the player they brought in to try and make them more creative against these low blocks and people like that. And then the player who suddenly, you know, who, who started really well, he got injured as well. So it's, and then, and Cater always gets injured, and Oxley Chamberlain's been out. So all these kind of progressive players in midfield are the ones who've been injured. And over time, it's probably just been asking too much of the front three. And that's probably why they're a little bit tired. But flipping flipping that argument sort of on its head, Connor, uh, uh, Liverpool have had since October. Like You can say you didn't know in October this was going to play out. The, the last window had obviously only just shut. Liverpool have had a couple of months to assess what is going on here and realise what options they have. As I say, they're so shrewd normally in the window. Is this not one that's getting away from them? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I am massively of the opinion they should go and get a centre back. Um, who? I think who? Liverpool. Well, who? Who? Carno has apparently got a contract clause or a Who's buyout. That? Sorry, clause. We don't Who's know that? Sorry. you could pay over the odds for Ben White to Brighton. You could because they obviously want him. He's a British player. I mean, there is options, and um, we aren't obviously Michael Edwards and sporting directors of multi-billion-pound football clubs. There is definitely money. I don't care what they say. It's taken such a long time to get to this position. Liverpool have never been in a better position in my whole lifetime. Why waste it? If you want Ben White, if you trap Ben White, he's a British player. He's not going to take up a foreign squad. Just go and get him. But on top of that, they did, you know, they, they probably have got somebody lined up in the summer. Yeah, and they He's waiting to the summer. And it might be in your mind, but in my mind, it's not worth the wait. If, There'll be another player, another option. Like they wanted Jamal Lewis, but they got Costas. But it's also like you, you talk about wait till the summer. In the summer, Manchester City will buy a striker. In the summer, Chelsea might buy a well, people always buy, midfield people player. Always buy players. Don't, well, hang on. Don't you think that every other club is thinking exactly the same thing now? Oh, no, Liverpool are absolutely rubbish. Why don't we sign somebody this January and we can make ourselves even better and we can win the league? It's our best chance ever. Leicester aren't signing anybody. Everton aren't signing anybody. United aren't signing anybody. I don't think City are going to sign anyone. Chelsea trying to sign everyone in the world. Yeah. They basically did do in the summer. This is why aren't any of these signing anybody? 
that's how difficult it is. You have to look at it from just the overall thing of that Liverpool at least know what they need. And they'll have known, as you say, from forget October, it's been suppose the end of last season, they'll know, oh, Lovren's going, we probably need to get somebody in, in the next 12, 13 months or whatever. So they're not going to deviate from that plan just because two players have you know, suffered nasty injuries, especially on the back of the fact that they're defensively, they're not having that much difficulties. And Klopp, you know that they'll and his coaching staff will believe, well, we've got all these other players and we can make this work. And with players coming back, Josh will be back. I mean, I personally, me, I would have signed a centre-back last summer, right? That's me, but it's not going to happen. And the fact that it's now January the 18th, pointless signing one now. They're not going to sign one. So we just have to probably just get on with it. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. Uh, Matt, what's your take on it? Yeah, I mean, look, it, we, we've known all along. We know what Liverpool are about. We know that they're about this perfection, aren't they? They won't go and get a short-term option, partly because there are very, very few, if any, available, and partly because that's just not the way that they've gone about it. So it's almost a, it's, it is a risk. It is a gamble to not do that, but it's not a massive shock that they're not doing it at the same time. I think it's almost a, a danger, isn't it, that you, you do limit yourself and, and at the end of the season you're looking back and you're thinking, what if? But... I think you just have to trust what they've done in the past. They've made similar decisions in the past where you've gone, oh, they absolutely have to sign X, Y, and Z. They haven't, they've waited, and ultimately it's been the right thing. I mean, I suppose that the question now is Liverpool are looking to retain a Premier League title rather than build on the top four, get into the top four, wherever they have been in the past when they've made these decisions. But look, it, it is their greatest strength, isn't it? Knowing what to do. It, it's like when we we talked about the Mohamed Salah contract, the Sadio Mane contract, Virgil van Dijk contract. All of these things are part of a longer-term plan, aren't they? There's no way that there's these conversations that have not happened. And as much as it is frustrating, and 100%, I would have signed a centre-back this month. I think you just have to, to assume that they have done everything that they can in order to do so, because... You know, I think as Paul Gorstro was the word negligent used last night. Was that the, the word in the verdict? I think that's spot on. I think it it almost has got to that that stage now where you think it's a huge risk, but at the same time you think, well, you have to trust them because the track record of, of Michael Edwards, Ian Graham and, and Co is spot on. Yeah, right. That calculated risk though, just for one final word on it, obviously that is how Liverpool played football for the last couple of trophy laden years. Calculated risk, running the high lines, the risk there, whatever else. And right now, without centre back, they aren't playing like that, and they aren't winning football games. I, I suppose maybe, maybe, maybe that's the risk then. The calculated risk is the transfer window, rather than on the pitch. The other thing is that they <laughs> they have all of the information, don't they? I mean, we don't know when Gomez is going to be back. We don't know when Van Dijk is going to be back. But you have to assume that Jurgen Klopp and his medical team do know that, or certainly have a date in mind. Well, hopefully, Matip will be back for Burnley, so all our problems are solved. Quick one before we get quick quick before we get on to Burnley. Nice link there, Connor. Would have used it usually, but I've gone a bit uh, opposite Paul Tierney and run over as opposed to going under. But uh, <laughs> in terms of uh, the word risk, Doyley, Jurgen Klopp sort of mentioned it in his press conference after the game. We've seen the bunch nature of the Premier League table this season. Are we not now beginning to have a risk at Liverpool in the top four? Well, don't forget we've got 20 games to go. There's still an awful long way to go. I think people are forgetting that they're thinking, oh, no, January, oh, we're getting near the end. We haven't even got halfway through yet. So, uh, well, yeah, because it's, but then it's not, this isn't as unusual as people seem to think. You go, I would advise everybody to go and have a look at the table at Christmas in 2013-14 and 
but just after just after New Year, like just after New Year's Day, and have a look at how close everybody's at the top. And that was the season where City won it from Liverpool, and Chelsea ended up only finishing two points behind Liverpool in second place. There was only four points off the, the between the front, uh, the top three. And back then at Christmas, Everton were in the shout, Arsenal were in it, that United were were knocking around a little bit. So Tottenham possibly. It's not unusual at this stage of the season for so many teams to be close together. Um, I think Liverpool will have a fight for the top four, but then Klopp said that himself. That's always the main aim every season is to finish the top four. And I think with the possible exception of City, who said at the start of the season will win it, and now I think... You know, the, the irony of irony is that City going to win it on the base, basis of their strong defence. Um, I think, you know, th- they're the team that's in possession now. They'd have to do well not to win it. Although, you know, if Aguero doesn't come back fit and they get another injury up front, who knows? You know, it could be the reverse to, reverse to Liverpool getting their injuries up there. So, apart from City, I think the rest of them are in a scrap for the top four. And I think what's interesting, I'm going to write a piece a, a little later on, just on, you look at the other mini table, uh, between the top six, Liverpool are still top of that. Liverpool have won more points than anybody else against the the supposed top six. But the difference now is that you've got Leicester in there, Everton in there, Southampton in there, and they're the teams that are kind of making things a bit difficult for everybody. I mean, I would imagine some of them might drop away as the longer the season goes on. But it will be top four is the main aim for Liverpool for now. Yeah, you've got Leicester, Everton, Southampton in there. You should probably take Arsenal out of that top six discussion. But Don't anyway, say that. You've got to have faith. You have to no, have faith. No, that's long gone. Let's talk about <laughs> Burnley coming to town then, Connor. And uh, yeah, we sort of know what to expect from Sean Dyche's side, but Liverpool need goals. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're not the team to go and plunder loads of goals at, are they? But then equally, it might, as we've discussed lots, give you a chance that they're not going to play on the last line themselves. They're not going to rush out and attack and they're not going to be putting Liverpool's defence under loads of pressure with blows at the ball. So it might be an opportunity to live, for Liverpool to try more things from the middle. Maybe somebody like Oxlade-Chamberlain in there. I would like to give Wijnaldum a rest, play Thiago a bit deep. I know we're going to come on to team selection in a minute, but I really like the way Thiago and Shaqiri started the game against Man United. And I think it'd be a bit silly to stop that dynamic just because of the way it was working when they were allowed to play it just it just looks really good looked really sharp they were linking up the play well and it kind of when united stifled Liverpool a bit obviously it stopped happening really which is fine Thiago obviously came into life a bit later in the game but somebody like obviously chamberlain in there with him will give them a, another dynamic as well just that whole center of the park could change and help liverpool just progress a bit forward through the middle and obviously still using robertson and trent as they do but it would just be two lines of attack and i think they're going to need it against burnley because you know, Sean Dyche has his team defending really well. They are really hard to break down, as Liverpool found in the last four games in the Premier League. Teams are going to come in and sit with, you know, Burnley's 11, whoever starts, are going to be class players. You know, they are Premier League established players who will defend with everything they have. And it's, it's going to be tricky again. But I just think even one goal or two, Liverpool will be taken with open arms at this point. Yeah, the only team, of course, who came to Anfield last season and weren't beaten in the Premier League. Matt, the point there on Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, he's not really been able to hit form since he came back from injury, but he was, aside from the the front three, Liverpool's highest scoring player last season. Is it a case then of throwing him in and hoping that there are goals from midfield in this team? It's a a really difficult one. I've not been massively impressed by him since he's come back from injury, but... I suppose the only way that you get him back into form and, and back playing is by playing him. So I don't know. It's a it's a really difficult one. I, I don't think I can find a place for him in my team. But 
I don't know whether Jurgen Klopp would think differently, but I just think you know, I would be going pretty similar to what they did against Manchester United. I think you can use him possibly as a substitute off the bench, but I don't know. It, it's a game that, that Liverpool absolutely have to win. I mean, obviously we know that they've been on a, a difficult run in terms of goal scoring and that sort of thing, and it's not the ideal game for them to come back into, but I think there's a little bit of pressure on them now to, to sort of put right what they've not been doing um, over the last few games. And I just think in a game which is essentially a must-win for Liverpool at Anfield, it would be a risk to bring in a player who, since coming back from injury, has not really shown enough for me. Doily, what do you make of, of the game Burnley coming to Anfield? Oh, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm looking forward to when I have a camera that doesn't make it look like I'm like in the world's brightest room again, by the way. I know they say this every week, but it's just becoming ridiculous now. Um, Our podcast listeners will really enjoy that one, yep. Oh, well, they should be watching the YouTube thing, basically, yeah. Um, watch it on the... YouTube. Yeah, the YouTube, you know, never mind the Facebook. <laughs> anyway, what's the question, Burnley? You know, yeah. Sean Dyche, you know, what, what more, you know, basically Sean Dyche. In, in, anyway, um, yes, Burnley. I actually think what's interesting is that when people think of Liverpool and Burnley, they go back to that game where Liverpool lost 2-0. I think it was about 2016, was it? Straight after they beat an Arsenal 4-3, by the way, and they were thinking, like, oh, this could be the new Liverpool. And, oh, look, it's exactly the same as the old Liverpool. I think Coutinho had about 39 shots from, from the halfway line or something stupid like that. But Liverpool's record since then against Burnley has been pretty decent, certainly at Turf Moor. And I know they drew one all last, and they could have easily lost. I think they Burnley lost it at the bar, didn't they, in the last minute in the, the game last season. So, Burnley, we know exactly what Burnley are going to do. They're going to basically be exactly the same as United, but not as good as defending and nowhere near as good as a counter-attack. So, you would like to think that Liverpool... I mean, I was, I was, I was tempted, when I got to the team in a sec, I was tempted to put a Origi in. Then I just realised that, what's the point? Because that's exactly what Burnley would like. If Liverpool have to not do what Trent in particular was guilty of against United, put too many balls into the box, just high ones and hope for the best. Not going to happen. Not going to happen against Burnley. Need to be more clever. I think Matt said it, Connor said it. They need to use a bit more of the, you know, moving players around, getting into the spaces. Because once they get ahead, they can play the game from there. And that's something that I think, to, to be honest, they haven't been particularly great after. There have been a few games this season where they've gone ahead and they have not been able to see it out. So I think it will be a test, but if they get an early goal, it certainly makes things a bit more interesting. And then Burnley, we know they're going to rely on long balls and they're going to rely on set pieces. And that's probably why when we get to the team, I'm selecting a certain person to play. Well, let's get to the team then. Alison Becker in goal. Connor, defence, what are you saying? So I'm going to cross my fingers, toes, eyes, hair, whatever you want, and hope the map is back. Robertson, <laughs> Trent Alexander-Arnold. <laughs> Fabinho because he's like the world's best centre-back and Matip. Yeah, the guys weren't laughing. I did cross my eyes there for those. <laughs> yeah, yeah good, good for the people. Good for the, yeah, good for the people yeah. listening. Yeah, yeah great. Yeah, well exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Doily, then you can uh, have a go at the midfield unless you want to change the, the defence. I'm changing the defence um, purely on the basis that it's whether or not Matip's fit. If Matip is fit, he plays. If he doesn't, if he doesn't play, yeah, it's, not. It's, Phillips. it's Nat Phillips because this is a game that's ready-made for him, to be honest. He was very good against West Ham, uh, dealing with the uh, attacking effort. So much so that West Ham then sold Haller for about a £25 million loss or whatever it was. So, you know, he's destroyed his career. Um, so, uh, so yeah, Nat Phillips. To, to be perfectly honest, I wouldn't be surprised if Nat Phillips plays anyway. 
I just think with the FA Cup coming, if Matip's got a chance, it's good to get him back in the Prem. I don't think you'll play on Sunday. Well, I think I think almost the opposite because I think yeah. given how Liverpool went strong against Aston Villa's under threes, I think that they're taking the FA Cup seriously this season. I think partly because there's no, we said this before, because there's no replays. And I think also because a couple of the rounds are in midweek. So I think they might give it a bit of a go. So I wouldn't be and surprised also, if that's kept for United. Yeah, and also a chance to play back into to form. Uh, Doily, I did ask you about the midfield, but Matt, I'll yes. let you let you take on the midfield, Matt. Yeah, uh, same again for the defence and then in midfield. Um, same again for me from the weekend. Uh, it's a little bit boring, but I think you need Zerdan Shakiri on the pitch. I think Thiago and, and him, as Connor said, worked quite well together. I think against a Burnley team where you can't really just throw loads of balls into the box. You need a little bit more guile, a little bit more creativity and just that final ball. So, uh, yeah. Um, in fact, no, it's not the same, is it? Because I'm putting Jordan Henderson in there. But yeah, Henderson, Thiago and Shakiri. Doily, come to you on the midfield. What are you saying? Uh, yeah, I think I think the witch needs a bit of a rest, so he can go on the bench. Henderson can go into midfield. Tiago's definitely playing, and ooh, I'm an Aaron over this. this if, I'll tell you what: if Cater was fit, which is obviously the big question ever, I would have played him in this one. Does all right against Burnley, um, but he's not. So you know the news, Jones. I reckon I reckon Oxley Chamberlain might play. I reckon Oxley Chamberlain might play, but I picture Gary. It's the weekend for me for Chamberlain. I think if you're gonna play him, I think there might be a couple of changes for the FA Cup. I think oh, Milner, I, I, was Milner as well, isn't it? I don't think Milner will play on Thursday. Milner's not playing on Thursday. He might play on Sunday though. No. Connor, what about your midfield? Yeah, obviously Henderson. It's gonna be Henderson, Thiago and Shakiri. I really want to get Alex Oxley Chamberlain in there. And I think he I also think he's he's going to play, but I wouldn't put him in my team. So the spring about, start at least sixty onwards to come and score a banner. But yeah, what about the forward line? Let you take the lead on that one. Connor. That's to me. Sorry, yeah, 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 a little sorry. Bit. yeah. No, no, uh, Connor. Down. Yeah, you can you can um, do, you can do the forward line. So I'm going to go Salamane and Minamino. I think it's a travesty that Minamino's had no Premier League minutes since his goal at Crystal Palace. Firmino hasn't been firing, I don't think, deserves to keep his place. Um, I think Minamino is the option from the start for me. Is there not a question mark, Doyley, with Minamino then? If Liverpool aren't scoring and he's still not turning to him, that it, therein lies the answer? Or Well, given the fact he's only ever scored one Premier League goal, perhaps not. But I do take your point in the fact that he did have a very, well, he had a decent game against Crystal Palace and then he's not been seen in the Premier League since then. Don't think he was great at Aston Villa, though we did get an assist. And I agree with Connor. I've been, I wasn't originally going to change the front three, but I, I would have Minamino on the left, Mane down the middle, and Salah on the right. Yeah. Matt, yourself? I'm going to stick with Firmino. I'm going to throw him back in. I know he wasn't brilliant at the weekend, but yeah, I think, as you say, Guy, the, the fact that Minamino hasn't been turned to so far probably suggests where he is. And Divock Origi, for me, just is absolutely miles off it. So... Yeah, I think. Wow. Um, <laughs> just destroyed him. He, he did he's a man, right. who, he's he's a man who helped win the Champions yeah. League. <laughs> he did. He, he helped yeah, Liverpool win the Champions back. League. He very so much he did. did. Yeah, um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I, 
For, for me, the, the changes this week for me come in the FA Cup. They don't come against Burnley. And I don't know whether that would have always been the plan, but I think the way it's gone, Liverpool absolutely have to win. So I think you go as strong as you possibly can on Thursday night. And for me, it's uh, an, an easy decision for, for Mino to be in there ahead of Ibaka Rigi. Last one I throw out there, if anyone wants to take it. Ox, false nine with the Mane Salah split strikers, no? Because you want Liverpool to lose. No. <laughs> I, I mean, want Ox back in the team. They won't be setting up for that. So, yeah, would, yeah why not? It would, work, it would work for about 10 minutes, then Burnley would go, what are they doing? And then just yeah, like, stab on him or something. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it's no, it's not, not particularly fair on Chamberlain either to throw him back in, having not yeah. been in the best of form. Come to on, put him get, in I mean, the number nine. You just can't get over the fact he left Arsenal. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's what it is. That's what it is. Um, anyway, let's do match predictions then before we get off. Uh, Doily, what's the score going to be? It's not going to be nil nil. You'll be, I will be grateful to hear. Um, I actually think Liverpool win three nil. I think something's going to happen. They're going to, they're going to just mood, like your mood from the start of this podcast to the end. The mood is the same. It's just the Salah stuff is just like I don't care. <laughs> this, is, right. this is more. This is more. Uh, you know, I do. Th- I think something strange is going to. I do think Liverpool are a lot. I know it sounds ridiculous to say this, but I think they're a lot nearer to getting the goals than people think. I just think they are. I just think they've had the little bit of self confidence has just has just beaten them down a little bit. And I think that if they get one fairly handy against Burnley, which I think that they will, they could go on to win three 0 which would be nice. And comfortable and nice and easy for us writing it, so it means that we don't have to just wait till the last second to start doing our stuff because that's a nightmare. Make sure you score the goals early, basically. Three yeah, 0 that'd be a dream, wouldn't it, Matt? What do you think the score's going to be? Yeah, I mean, I was going to go one nil, but I think if if Matip is back, Henderson moves into midfield. We've talked about the knock-on effect of that. I think it could be slightly more comfortable. I think I think Liverpool win, um, but I don't think it'll be as many as three. I'm going to go two nil. I can't see Burnley scoring. I don't think it'll be absolutely low to Liverpool. Brace for Ox in the false nine. Yeah, I like the kick like in there, Matt. <laughs> Connor. The on the left. Yeah. I'd argue that the most optimistic person that comes on this podcast, and I don't think it's going to be 3 0. <laughs> I'll go 2 0 and I'll be happy. Yeah. Mark, my words, mark my words. Mark my words. All right, we'll replay well, this then on Friday. Wrong, then just forget them. Yeah, yeah, we'll replay this on Friday, if that, however, however it does turn out. But uh, yeah, hopefully we've lifted the mood. I've certainly lifted our mood here at Blood Red and on the Blood Red podcast after that drab goalless draw with Manchester United. Don't forget then, stick across all of our content across the Liverpool Echo website, as well as our Blood Red channels, whether it's audio on demand or our dedicated YouTube channel for everything ahead of and post Burnley on Thursday. We'll be back with Friday's edition of the Blood Red podcast. Until then, thanks for your time and your company. It's bye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.